2022 is a bucket list year for me. In July, I got to go whale watching off the coast of Newfoundland. And in November, I was able to travel to London, eat some sticky toffee pudding, and speak live at BCI World. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 62 as the Resilience Think Tank presents the Resilient Journey podcast. I'm your host, Mark Hoffman, and today I'm joined by, well, a lot of pretty interesting people. I interviewed speakers at BCI World Hybrid 2022 in London. Join me as we hear from BCI Board Chair Chris Horn, Charlie McLean Bristol, Sarah Garrington, Susie Ansary, Stella Nunn, Kate Needham Bennett, Liz Royal, Marie Helene Primo, and Alex Fullock. And I'll explain how Fortnite feels a lot like a business continuity program. Let's get right into it. I'm here with Chris Horn at BCI World in London. Chris, you got to be thrilled with 2022 and how this is turning out. Yeah, this is great. It's fantastic to get everybody back together in person. We've got as many people online joining us. Uh, the response and the interaction that's happening here in the room and in the in the halls and online, we're very pleased with and seeing the response as we bring the community back together. So uh, one of the things that we've had here is uh, some breakout sessions. We had some keynotes at the beginning. We're going to wrap up today with some keynotes. Uh, good list of speakers. Yeah, I mean, we've got a broad spectrum of speakers, varying topics. We've been in workshops. We've had presentations. We're not talking at people. We're talking with people. And we're getting feedback is the biggest thing where people are learning and benefiting from the broader group, knowledge that's here as an industry. So uh, we're pretty pleased with this. Great. Chris, thanks. Keep up the good work. You're welcome. Talk to you soon. I'm joined by Charlie McLean Bristol, and you opened up today talking about return on investment, and it's not your typical model for return on investment when it comes to business continuity. Yeah, so I was saying you don't want to spend all your money on software, consultants, training, well, maybe training, but what you want to do is empower your people and train them up so that they are better prepared to manage an incident, and by showing where they are and where you want them to be, the, the gap can be where you're going to spend your money on to make sure you've got return on investment. One of the things I talked about in my session in the afternoon was the value of continual improvement. Measure a program, uh, aim for the next target, build a roadmap, and uh, rinse and repeat. And that kind of ties into what you're talking about. Yeah, I think it is, you know, you can have gut feels of so we're quite good, we think we're quite good, but actually if you can measure it numerically and then go to show an improvement, then you can prove to people, you know, that actually that investment, all the money you're spending on, either on my salary or on, on everything else is worth it. I like what you said because it's not like just a random numeric model. It's you're asking, asking and answering questions. Yeah, so you're asking, you're defining what's important to that organization and seeing how people fit against that requirements. Thanks, Charlie. I'm here with Marie Elaine Primo, and you're doing a, well, you pre-recorded your session today. What, uh, what did you talk about? I should have talked about the professional practice number one, which is policy and program management. Were you on the panel that did the work for the good practice guidelines on that? Were you part of that? Well, actually part of the addendum that was produced lately to see what were the changes from the ISO 22301 2019 version versus uh, what's in the good practice guidelines to, uh, 2019, uh, 2018. So, you know, when you put... Um, 
uh, a paper together for this. They always ask for the three takeaway points or whatever. What would you say is the takeaway from your presentation? Well, I think, you know, it drives to the presentation we just got today regarding resilience and the fact that if we want to, hit, to be sustainable, we need to have top management uh, support, you know, leverage all that buzzword around operational resilience to make sure that it, there's a program in place that's sustainable over time and that we have the appropriate resources at the table, you know, to also talk about uh, Charlie's point regarding a return on investment and people being trained. Very interesting. And so that's available for the next 30 days uh, through the hybrid BCI world. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you very much. I'm joined now by Stella Nunn and Kate Needham-Bennett, two of our keynotes from today. And you were talking about a really interesting topic, and that is being compliant, but not necessarily resilient. Uh, you want to sum that up? Uh, yes, just in terms of you can go through a certain process and produce artifacts and do some analysis, but actually that doesn't make you resilient. It's what you do with that and how you apply that. And that's what we're seeing now in financial services with the application of the policy, which is we're moving into the time to become resilient. Uh, now you're compliant. One of the things you talked about that I really liked was that organizations that are not necessarily regulated are reaching out and saying, hey, these principles could still apply to us. And those are the ones that really interest me because those are the ones that don't have to check a box. You want to talk about that a little? Yeah, sure. So I think that the compliance angle you can kind of use as an example. You can use the principles from it. I don't think that the FinServe regulators created regulation just for the fun of it. Um, I think they were there because they are best practice principles that anyone could follow. I think FinServes were probably um, regulated first because it's the most immediate uh harmful impact that we can see. But there's no reason why other industries and sectors can't follow. You know, you're seeing scrutiny of energy sector, you're seeing scrutiny of the insurance sectors. And I think it's really looking at if you have the possibility of doing harm because there is a disruption to your service, then you should be looking at the operational resilience principles regardless of whether you're regulated. One of the things that I'll get you out of here on this, one of the things you said was uh, a lot of times people think about services, but then they say, well, we don't do services. We do product, but there's services behind the delivery of that product. There are, and actually the whole shift is almost, if you think about a horizontal end-to-end -end service, whether it's a product or not, that you deliver from front to back across your organization outside, where historically I think business continuity has sort of followed the, the structures of an organization top to bottom. And that, that sort of pivot to the horizontal front to back and, and, and looking at the customer is a really big shift for most firms and, and not shouldn't be underestimated but if you get it right it allows you to look at resilience in a completely different angle and that's when the intelligence layer starts to come in that's brilliant thank you so we're back in person now uh how have you enjoyed coming back we have yeah i think it's been a real um momental shift actually um coming here and a lot of the presentations are on resilience and the surrounding spheres and it's so encouraging to see it all looked at from a more holistic viewpoint. Great. Thank you both. Thank you. I'm here with Sarah Garrington. Sarah, you had a, uh, a panel discussion that you were the moderator of, and you were talking about debunking myths and some of the confusion about resilience. What did we learn from that session today? I think we learned that everyone's got a differing um, view of what resilience actually is, but then overall we've all got the same objective, which is to make our organisation more resilient, whether that's business continuity, cybersecurity, supplier management, we're all trying to do the right thing for the organisation. What jumped out at me is that it seemed like we might be seeing a shifting 
of attitudes. We had some people who were longer in the industry compared to some newer people, and they had slightly different points of view. Yeah, no, I agree. And I think, um, you know, we were lucky enough to have a global view as well. So we had representation from Australia and Germany on that panel too. And actually it just shows that, you know, there's no consistency at the moment with what we're talking about. When we say resilience, we don't necessarily know what that means consistently. And that goes generationally as well as geographically. Um, so I think personally, until we kind of get that definition nailed, I think we might be in a bit of an uphill battle. I'm here now with Liz Royal, and you just spoke about uh, emotional resilience coming out of a crisis. Uh, summarize that for us. It was a fantastic session. Oh, thank you. Uh, we were looking at different levels of risk that organizations take and some of the ones that they quite often miss because they're not aware of. Um, the best practice for dealing with emotional resilience and some of the pitfalls that organizations make, you know, they fall into. Because uh, I always think you learn a lot from how others have done it wrong. And, you know, avoiding those are really important. Well, that's really a secret to it, too, isn't it? I mean, you have to go back and uh, do sort of a post-incident uh, review and say, OK, mm -hmm. what can we learn? What can we do different uh, to avoid this from happening again? Absolutely. And and I think for people, they tend to think about the, the very, you know, getting the nuts and bolts done, get the... Uh, operations going and then they move on and they forget about the people but the people's response can take a while um, some people especially if they're working they're, they're having to deal with the incident the actual psychological impact of it doesn't hit them for maybe weeks afterwards even months I think 25% of people don't have a reaction until six months after now, what about EAP? Because a lot of people will say, well, we don't need to worry about doing anything extra because we have this employee action plan or assistance plan. Um, what's your thoughts on that? I hear that a lot. And what I, what people need to know is that research shows that 80, up to 80% of people who need support after an incident will not access it. And one of the big reasons they won't do that is because it's counselling or nothing. And it's like sending everybody to hospital. It's like, you know, you, you have a fall and you bruise yourself or you sprain your ankle and someone says, oh, we've got support for you. Just go to A&E, you know, go to the emergency room. They're going to say, well, I don't need that. I need something. I, I need to know how I can help myself. I need to know what will help me recover. I need to know what to avoid so that I'm not going to make it worse. But I don't need the emergency room. And so they don't do anything. And that is the equivalent. It's such a hard thing for people to pick up the phone to a stranger and say, I've got a problem. And if we can just give people empowering information that they can help themselves, they can understand the reaction, it takes the fear out of it. You know, they don't think I'm going mad. They don't suppress it. They don't end up using alcohol, withdrawing from families. It's a whole vicious circle. And it's just, it doesn't work. It, you know, I mean, I've been working in mental health for 25 years. It does not work. Thank you for your message today in there, and thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you. Thank you for, for attending. It's been a pleasure to meet you. I'm at BCI World with Alex Fullock. Alex, good to see you in person. Yes, good to meet you, finally. Yeah, how about that? Um, you, we were just talking about your keynote, which is later in the day, and you're speaking with Margaret Millett, and uh, you have kind of a unique perspective on things. What was that about? Well, we kind of took a different path uh, when we bring in everything together. I'm not even sure if it was conscious, but it just happened that way. Um, Margaret, because of her position, was talking about a lot of 
tools and some of the processes come from that perspective and a, an executive perspective, while I was starting to come from a more personal perspective. You know, how can I as a person help raise the bar for executives, which is the title of our, our session. And so we were coming from opposite sides to cover uh, different perspectives, and it really worked out quite well. I was quite happy with it. What's nice about that is um, when you collaborate, when you work with people, you get different perspectives, and that's the whole value of diversity and collaboration and things like that. Exactly. You know, that, that's what collaboration is, Di different perspectives and bringing different people and ideas together. And that's exactly what ha happened with our session. So we're going to bounce those ideas back and forth instead of the clinical, you know, thou shall do ABC. You know, so you're not doing death by PowerPoint? No, thank goodness. <laughs> I have to have everything on cue cards because I know I would forget. It'll, this is the first time actually ever that I'll be presenting without some sort of a slide behind me that I can talk to, you know, or at least trigger ideas. So I will have little cue cards in my hand. Yeah, I have them for mine too. Thanks, Alex. <laughs> After the conference, I caught up with Susie Ansari, and this was absolutely my favorite uh, session of the conference. And uh, Susie, catch us up on uh, what your session was all about. Thank you, Mark, for your kind words about my session at the BCI World Hybrid event. It was an absolute pleasure to be invited uh, to present and to also attend your very relevant and inspiring session that followed. So my session presented a fictitious scenario in which a third-party company had recently experienced a cyber attack. And... Um, Ultimately, they had no uh, data loss. This was very fortunate. However, this had made the executive leaders um, very, very nervous, and they'd been given the remit to that BC lead within their organization to implement some future proofing. Participants in the workshop were divided into groups. They were given a budget and several profiles of employees who all had different years of BCM experience, varied leadership and management skills, and they all cost different amounts. So each group or team had to select their project team that would lead them to success and to stay in budget. Yeah, that was a great session. What were some of the key takeaways? Um, we have an amazing global community of practitioners with a huge range of experience and knowledge. A really great bunch of folks. They're keen to learn, keen to share, and all respectful of each other's well-earned position in our company. So what was I actually trying to accomplish with this? Um, I wanted people to understand the importance of skills outside of business continuity or risk management expertise. I wanted to highlight the leadership components of the BCI's competency framework and also make those aware that you need different people, you need different thinkers, you need to be open to those with other perspectives so you don't miss out on the opportunities that we all have. Finally, I wanted to encourage all of us to look outside of the confines of business continuity and start to utilize everyone in our organizations for the abilities and the skills that are there at our fingertips. And this will truly help with embedding BC and creating sustainable organizational resilience. The workshop uh, aspect of that was really fun. And um, I know our table got really into it and we were trying to pick, uh, you know, different resources that we thought would be helpful. And I don't know how many tables there were. There must have been, uh, the room was packed because it was such a good session. But um, you had a lot of different answers from a lot of different tables, didn't you? 
We had really different answers from the participants, and I learned a lot from that. I was really surprised by the varied responses from the individual groups, and some groups kept a contingency of budget, either to use for team-building purposes, Christmas party came up a few times, or to change strategy later if they needed, um, they wanted to swap people out, or to hopefully be able to implement the project plan under budget and sell that um, as a marketing tactic to their leadership team, which is never a bad thing. Some groups insisted that they'd have admin support. Some wanted a new graduate who lacked the leadership skills based on their experience, but they were really strong on the use of thinking tools and innovative methods. A couple of groups chose the very experienced BC and risk advisor and went for a smaller team. Interestingly, not many selected the BC champions, and this was a big surprise to me because these are the people really sitting in the company, in the business. They know the processes. They own the processes. Ultimately, they are responsible. So I would have expected them to be uh, ranked into the top picks. I mentioned there were no right or wrong answers in this exercise. So the competency framework is really designed to support BC practitioners at every stage of their career. It's a tool that's going to help to develop resilience capability through, the, through workplace planning and also through development. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, especially, we need to remain open to change. And that also means creating agile teams according to the disruptive event. If you want to learn more please have a look at the competency framework and, of course, reach out to that great community of BC and risk practitioners that we have. Thank you, Mark. And then there was me. In my session, I compared the business continuity programs to the video game Fortnite. In Fortnite, you're dropped in as a team of one. You have to gather resources as you go. Other players in the game are a constant risk to you and they're trying to eliminate you. And in Fortnite, they have this thing called the Storm Circle, which closes in on you uh, and increases the pressure and shrinks your playing area. And we talked about how in business continuity programs, a lot of times we're working with very small teams. And we talked about the value of collaboration. We played a fun game with the group. Uh, we had a lot of people in the room and uh, we played a, a fun game uh, to point out the value of collaboration. Uh, we talked about how important it is to build relationships across the organization, to deeply understand the ins and outs of the organization. We talked about the cycle of continual improvement and how important that is, particularly as you're gathering resources. When it comes to risks across the organization, I provided some tips on how to deal with some things that we might all run into. Things like a lack of interest or a check-the-box mentality, that optimism bias which just drives me uh, around the bend, and even those John McEnroe, you-cannot-be-serious moments that we all might have to deal with. When it comes to the storm cycle, uh, the storm circle, we said that everybody's got a storm. It might be cyber, it might be supply chain, it might be new regulations or customer demands. And the fact that asking questions like what keeps you up at night and leveraging the information from the storm uh, actually provides justification to your program. It was a lot of fun. It was a bucket list item for me to, to speak live at BCI World. And I thank everyone who joined my session. Uh, like I said, it was a, a, it was a high energy, very full room uh, and the time just flew by. It was a lot of fun. 
I want to offer a special thanks to everyone who actually took time and stopped to speak with me at BCI World, whether they were being interviewed or just to be polite and come by and say hello. It was fantastic meeting everyone and a special thanks to the Resilience Think Tank for their continued sponsorship of the Resilient Journey. We have some exciting things in store in 2023, so please continue to follow us as we move forward. I've got another great guest lined up for next week, so join us, won't you, as we continue our resilient journey.